just was flashing this morning on the fact it actually comes down to a Robert Duvall line from some Western movie, and I can't remember which one it was. But he's, he's explaining to a guy that's sitting with him about uh, enjoying life, I think it is. But anyway, he goes, the secret is to take pleasure in the small things of life. So I was thinking about that this morning, coming to church, driving down the road and all the leaves are turning yellow and there's multiple colors and you get to come to this church, this quaint little log church with a small body of believers and get a worship God. And I'm doing it all, listening to Emmy Lou Harris in my truck singing Poor Wayfaring Stranger. I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger traveling through this world of woe. There is no sickness, toil, or danger in the land to which I go. And the only thing I'd add to that is I hope that land to which I go, it's fall at least a good portion of the time. <laughs> if you want to read along today, the scriptures I picked is in uh, Proverbs. So the 28th chapter of Proverbs, first 13 verses. And if you don't get the gist of what this message is about uh, by hearing these words in the Bible, I'll spell it out for you. The wicked run away when no one is chasing them, but the godly are as bold as lions. When there is moral rot within a nation, its government topples easily. But with wise and knowledgeable leaders, there is stability. A poor person who oppresses the poor is like a pounding rain that destroys the crops. To reject the law is to praise the wicked. To obey the law is to fight them. Evil people don't understand justice, but those who follow the Lord understand it completely. It is better to be poor and honest than rich and crooked. Young people who obey the law are wise. Those who seek out worthless companions bring shame to their parents. A person who makes money by charging interest will lose it. It will end up in the hands of someone who is kind to the poor. The prayers of a person who ignores the law are despised. Those who lead the upright into sin will fall into their own trap. But the honest will inherit good things. Rich people picture themselves as wise. But their real poverty is evident to the poor. When the godly succeed, everyone is glad. When the wicked take charge, people go into hiding. People who cover over their sins will <coughs> not prosper. But if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. So a guy dies. And he's at the pearly gates. These theology of these guys going into heaven about going over their good things and their bad things in life, of course, is stupid. But anyway, that's the gist of the story. He's at the, at the pearly gates, and St. Peter's looking through his notes on this man's life. And he said, you know, you really haven't done anything bad in life, but you really haven't showed any true integrity either. 
do you have anything to say for yourself? And he goes, no, he says, he says that's not true. He, he said, there was one time, he said, I was coming home from work and there was a whole motorcycle gang and had a poor woman pulled over on the side of the road and were accosted. And I was so mad, I pulled over, I opened up my trunk, I got a tire iron out and I went over to the leader of that gang. It's this monster guy with this studded leather jacket. He's got a chain from his ears to his nose. And I pulled the chain right out of the side of his head. And immediately the rest of the gang comes around me and I let him have it right upside the head with a tire iron. And then I looked at the rest of them and I said, if you don't leave this poor woman alone, I'm gonna give you the same one I got this guy. St. Peter goes, wow, that was integrity. When did this happen? And the guy goes, about two minutes ago. You know, suppose, you know, sometimes if you ever wondered if you thought about going back in time and talking to people's and individual lives, think it, I mean, suppose you could go back to 1775 and you were alive and all of a sudden you could invite Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison over for supper. And you're having a conversation and he explained to them that, you know, most of the precepts of the government that they planned, that they laid down, they're still being followed in America today as a country, but they're being inundated with a complex series of problems that, did you guys foresee this? You know, elected members of our government are being convicted of taking bribes and they swing their votes to benefit companies and corporations that got them elected. At times they are caught even having sexual alliances with everyone other than their spouses. Even members of the same sex. This happens frequently all the way up to the president's office. Clergy members are convicted of abusing youth they are entrusted with protecting. Often over a period of decades the citizens of the country, that, which these people are now head of the government, they don't trust any of these people, so they cheat on their taxes. You tell them we have a high-tech society to now, it's given us everything we need to prosper. Everything but a conscience. Everything but integrity. And so you go, have we, if you look at this, if you lost our sense of decency in our nation? Has our conscience been so damaged that we no longer even recognize what is right and what is wrong? What is integrity? Integrity is more than just telling the truth. Integrity is doing what you said you would do. Integrity means keeping your promises. Integrity means that your words and your actions are the same. In other words, you practice what you preach. Someone once said integrity is the foundation of, get this, eternal life. Today it seems our integrity as humans can be bought and sold like a commodity at Walmart. It's like the t-shirt that says, yes, I have morals and they are cheap. So what is the source of our values? Are we getting them from somewhere? Where are we getting them from? 
from a book on ethics? Would you consider the National Enquirer a good place to get your values? Would you consider TV talk shows a good place? If you are an average American right now that says an average American, get this, will spend almost in one year a thousand hours watching TV. Which, by the t if you live to be 65, what that comes down to is you will have spent 15 years, 12 hours a day, every day of the year, just watching what's on the tube. 15 years of your life. And as a nation, we seem to be largely molded by what morality, integrity, values we see on TV and morality and TV values we see in the movies. You know, in John, in 1 John 2, 15 says, says, don't, don't love the world's ways. The lust for physical pleasure, the ambition to buy everything that appears to you, and the price that comes, and the pride that comes from wealth and importance, those are not from God, but they are from the world. So you, you take that verse, and you go, number one, number two, number three. What, what does it say? It's obviously that the world's value system has always remained the same, but this verse tells us there are three basic world values that are constantly being conveyed to you. What are those three things? Pleasure, possessions, and prestige. That is why Paul writes in Romans 12, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. You know, we choose for ourselves, where am I going to get my values? Really, we have two choices. I'm either going to get them from the Word of God, or I'm going to get them from this world. Those are the choices you have. You know, Job 34.4 says, you should choose to do what? Follow what is right. But first, first, you must define what is good. Imagine, you know, living in a country, just like at the beginning verses of Proverbs says, imagine living in a country where people are admired from running away in a battle or where a man felt proud of double-crossing the people that were closest to him. Or in a society where greed and lust were the unalienable rights that were guaranteed to all citizens. You know, that sounds kind of stupid, but the idea of right and wrong isn't just a matter of opinion any more than the multiplication table. You know, it seems at times we all have an idea of integrity for others, but not necessarily for me. You know, we fail to practice what we judge others for. For our own bad behavior, when we commit bad behavior, we got tons of excuses. You know, that time you were unfair to your children was when you were taught. You know that slightly shady business deal you got into where you knowingly overcharged somebody for what you said you would do it for? You did it for one reason. That's because you were pretty broke. 
And to do something, you promise to do something for somebody else, and you never end up doing it because you didn't know how terribly busy you were going to be. The time you talk harshly to your wife or your husband or put them down, they know what a rotten week you've had. We all have bad behavior, but the point is, if anyone points out our failure to keep our values, we have excuses as long as our arms. You know, in house construction, it's the same thing. When things don't go right in house construction, it's always that stupid architect that drew up the plans. He doesn't know how roofs need to shed in this country. Or if the progress doesn't get made, you blame one of the subs. That plumber never shows up when you want him to. Or you blame the homeowner itself because they're so ignorant about things that need to be done for their house. But if we didn't believe that what was right and was wrong, or if we didn't believe in decent behavior, why are we always so quick to come up with an excuse for not behaving better? For you notice that it is human tendency that it is only our own bad behavior that we find alibis and explanations for. It is only our own bad temper that we chalk up to being tired or worried. We put our good behavior down to ourselves. If we are people without morals or cheap ones, what kind of a country would we become? Some people say that moral law, the laws like we have, where our country was founded on, that moral laws, it's just a social convention. You know, kind of something that's ingrained into us by education, something that humans invented for themselves, you know, like driving on the right side of the road. But if that was true, then if one set of moral behavior is no better than another, then there would be no sense in preferring Christian morality to Nazi morality. Decent behavior is felt, and we all know it. It is not just an act that is beneficial to us. It means being content with a small profit on a job when you could have charged a whole lot more and gotten away with it. It means doing honest schoolwork when it would be easy to cheat it means staying in a dangerous place to help somebody when you could go someplace else. It means keeping promises you would rather not keep and telling the truth even when it makes you look like a fool. This country used to exemplify that type of behavior and reward it. Now oftentimes a hero is a man that just describes somebody practicing his own form of shrewd selfishness. You know, Pope John Paul said one time, every generation of America, America needs to know that freedom consists not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought to. You know, if, if we as a people or a country do not take the distinction between good and bad very seriously, then that distinction becomes more blurred, more gray each day that we have as a country more open to discussion as time passes on. A man in his life does not call a line crooked if he has no idea what a straight line looks like. Justice is not a private idea of his own, 
We have to believe in a set of moral laws in order to guide us or we end up walking that path into a rut. And you know that pretty much describes human history. To be your own master apart from God and out of that hopeless attempt has come poverty, war, prostitution, different classes of people, empires, slavery, the long story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason it never works is this. God made us. He invented us like a man, like a human machine to run on him. He is the fuel for our spirits designed for us to feed on that. There is no other. That is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without having a relationship with him. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from him because it is not there. That doesn't stop man from trying. That is the key to history. Terrific energy is expanded. Civilizations are built up. Excellent institutions are devised, but each time something goes wrong. Some flaw brings selfish and cruel people to the top and it all slides back down into misery and ruin again. That is why the wisdom of our founding fathers, which was based on the principles of the word of the Lord, that's why their principles were so different than other countries. Jesus didn't come to give us a new morality. He told us quite simply, here is, I hate this line because it's so overused, the bottom line. You all know it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God more than you love yourself. But the New Testament also gives us a clear view of a fully Christian society. What is that view of Christian society? Maybe not everybody wants to hear it. It's in the Bible. Perhaps it gives us more than we can take. It tells us there are to be no parasites. There are to be no In 2 Thessalonians 3.10 it says, If a man does not work, he ought not to eat. Everyone is to work with his hands and to produce or provide something good. In the passage in the New Testament that says every one of us must work, it gives us a reason why. In order that we may have something to give to those in need. Charitable giving to the poor, the disadvantaged, is an important part of Christian morality. For many of us, the great obstacle to charity not lies in I can probably look at everybody here. It doesn't lie in the fact that we want to have luxurious living or we desire for more money, but it is in our fear. And our fear is of insecurity. Our society's belief that we need to store up as much as we can possibly store up in stocks, bonds, securities, gold, silver, baseball cards, it's all considered solid wisdom. But giving until it is hurts, until it hurts, that is seen as utter foolishness. It was like the 
assemblage at a revival meeting one time. And there's all different people sitting there. Poor ones, rich ones. And there's one guy that stands up from the rest, and he's super wealthy. And during the revival meeting, he stands up and he goes, I want to share you my story. I was 19 years old. I had one dollar left in my name. And I didn't know what I was going to do in life. And I stood up in front of the church and I put the only dollar I had into the offering plate. I give everything I had to God. And he has blessed me. I'm now a multimillionaire. I own a large corporation. And I have numerous employees. And there was silence at the meeting. And finally one little voice came up in the back. The guy says, dare you to do it again. That's what the Bible says is the ultimate in charity giving is that you would give up not just your money, but your life for your neighbor. No greater love, it says, exists, and that is what Jesus did for us. The ultimate charity. That's the ultimate charity. He took our place in order that we do not have to pay the price for our, for our constant bickering, for our lusting, for our lying, our contempt, our arrogance. You know, Jesus, it seems to me, you know, he always behaved sometimes like he was the person being offended by our, our offenses. You know, this makes sense if he really was the God whose laws were being broken and whose love was being wounded every time we committed a sin. Have you ever known anyone that has said this to you? You're a Christian. You know, I, I guess I, I believe Jesus is a great teacher. I agree with you on that. You know, he was a really moralistic man. He was a great teacher. But, you know, I just don't accept that claim that he was the son of God. And you know, when you think about that, when someone says that to you, I mean, that's the one thing they should not ever say. Because a man who is merely a man, which they're claiming Jesus is, and said the sort of things that Jesus said, and he was just a man, he would have been a nutcase if he was not God. Because he says, I am the Son of God. And he was more than just a great moral teacher. Either Jesus was the Son of God or he was a madman. Because there's no room for any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to leave it open to us. That's why you accept what he says or your dear ears no longer work. You know, the central Christian belief that despite our morals, our lack of integrity, Christ's death has somehow put us right with God and given us a fresh start. You know, I've thought about this a lot and how this works. I'm baffled with sometimes because I don't, it just doesn't seem right that because of the things that I do wrong that the Almighty God would give up His Son to make it right just because of everything I do wrong. But 
it's enough to know that's the, what the Bible says and it does for me. Theories or explanations are man's futile attempts at imagined answers. A man can eat, you can sit down and eat your supper and you never understand really how food actually nourishes you. A man can accept what Christ has done for him without knowing how it works. He certainly would not know how it works fully, no man would, until he has accepted it. That is why the Christian is in a different position from other people who are trying to be good. You know, they hope by being good, they will please God if one actually exists. But at the very least, they will gain approval from other good men that live in this country. And they will get recognitions. They will get rewards. They will get their name on a plaque. But the Christian thinks any good he does comes from the Christ that he accepted that's inside of him. He does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. You know, it's just as the roof of a greenhouse does not attract the sun because it is bright, but becomes bright because the sun shines on it. There is a story about a small boy who was asked one time what he thought God was like. And he replied that as far as he could take out, make out, he was the sort of person who was always snooping around to see if anyone is enjoying himself and then trying to stop it. You know, and that is what the world, world's morality raises in a lot of people's minds. But in every moral rule, there are directions for running our human machine without undue friction on the bearings, without any undue strain on the valves, without the threat of falling apart or constant breakdowns. I think that every one of us who has a vague belief in God until he becomes a Christian has an idea, somewhat in the back of your mind, that you have to pass an exam. In fact, the opposite's true. God has been patiently waiting for the moment at which you discover there is no question of earning a passing mark in this exam or putting him in your debt. And this leads to another discovery, that if you devoted every moment of your life in his service, you could not give him anything that was in a sense not already his. It's like a small child, he's going to his father and he wants to give his dad a present. And of course the father is pleased that his son wants to give him a present. It's all proper. And his son asks his father for a dollar so that he can buy the dad a present. And he's pleased with his boy. But only someone that doesn't understand the situation would think that the father actually earned that dollar in that transaction. When man discovers these things about what he can give back to the Lord, that's when the Lord can really use him in his life. Morals and integrities aren't the point of our lives. If I ask you, what's the point in playing football? And you said, uh, score touchdowns. 
what kind of an answer would that be? Because trying to score is the game, but not the reason for the game. In the same way, if a man asked you, what is the point in behaving decently, and you replied, I want to benefit society, it would sound just as silly. Consequently, the rule of human nature, or of right and wrong, or whatever you want to call it, must somehow be a real thing in our life, a thing not made up by ourselves, but which we find self we have a conscience for. You know, God made it for us, but not to squash us down, not to belittle us, not to put us into a box, but it was to build us up, to keep us running strong without our engines coughing and sputtering down that road that is full of potholes. You know, ethical or moral living is more than a concept discussed in seminars. It's a powerful means of demonstrating the presence of one thing in your life, that's Christ. Doing what is right is always the right thing to do. And I'd like to end by telling you, reading the verse, reading the Psalm 15, which says this again. It's a short psalm. It's basically the gist of this message. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right. Speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to slander others or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise persistent sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who do not charge interest on the money they lend and who refuse to accept bribes to testify against the innocents. Such people will stand firm forever. Let's pray. Lord, each one of us has days and hours and times that we're not proud of where everything seems to point back to us rather than someone else when we think of our own feelings before we think of anybody else's and all we gotta do when you get like that I think is to look at how Christ acted when he was accused when he was belittled. See how he reacted. Did he think of himself first? We know, Lord, that your son was our example, but oftentimes we don't leave a parallel life. And you also created us this way. That's why we are here today, because we know we are sinners, because we know we're at a hospital that can treat that sort of thing. And not because we think we're better than anybody else or anything like that. We just know of your, our need for you. 
We just ask that each day we wake up, whatever we each have to do, that in realizing this, that we try to be better in our treatment of others than we were the day before. That we show progression, even if it's slight progression. We thank you so much for this time of year and for each and every one that's here.